The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There is so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. If you've ever thought to yourself, there has got to be more than this, you are in the right place. Welcome to the More of God, a safe place to explore the more. Now, here's your host, April Harrison. I am really excited to have my guest here today. I've got Pastor Glenn Burris, who is the president of Foursquare, which is the denomination I'm excited to be a part of. Thank you, Glenn, for being here. You're welcome. I usually like to start the podcast by having people just share a little bit about their life with God. Can you give a little quick testimony about that? Sure. I was brought up in a pastor's home and at an early age, uh, early elementary school, I accepted the Lord at my dad's church. I was always surrounded by lots of Christian kids, but then we also hung out in the neighborhood and at school and played a lot of sports. So I got interaction with lots of community kids as well, but grew up in the church and obviously had my dad as my pastor. So that was, um, I think, always for the most part positive, but you know, started experiencing some really strong connections with the Lord as I grew older and had some great youth pastors along the way. And those were very, very beneficial and helpful because they became people that I wanted to model my life after a little bit. And then camps were a big part, being able to get away with other kids and and really focus on hearing from the Lord. And we usually had evangelists or missionaries or somebody in. So that would generally take my spiritual experience to another level. So those kind of things all joined together to be part of the story. But, you know, I didn't have any major rebellion in my life, but I did have times where I was establishing my own journey of faith and believing things because that's what I embraced rather than my parents. You grew up in a four square church, I'm assuming. I did. So you had kind of this Pentecostal background. So that wasn't necessarily a foreign thing to you to see moves of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, you know, you got a little more probably intersected with that when there was revivals or when there might have been altar services or maybe camp time. But I never assumed it was weird. Being Pentecostal in the 60s and 70s and even part of the 80s was a different experience than it is today because people often associated Pentecostals with holy rollers or or just the extremes. I was in Kentucky yesterday and talked with a lady who lives there and says to me that if I had the time, she could take me to a snake candling church. Oh, and, okay. Um, you did not have I, the time, I bet. <laughs> I, I turned that one down. Um, <laughs> you know, there's just, uh, there's things I think that have given at times, Pentecost a bad name. And then we live in a world today where where the fastest growing churches around the world are often Pentecostal churches, Mm -hmm. and especially in the 1040 window in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, there are tremendous Pentecostal movements, and most of them very balanced. I think in any group, a movement whether it's independent churches, whether it's Baptist churches, you're going to get everything from liberal churches to eccentric churches and leaders who go off the rails. And But you know, uh, April, the consistent off-the-rail kind of leader tends to stray away from the centricity of the word 
and gets into their own personal interpretation. And so I think that begins to be fairly dangerous. So yeah, but today with the worship the way it is, and often worship that's being generated in Pentecostal churches are like Hillsong and Jesus Culture and Bethel Mm -hmm. are being sung all around the world, including non-Pentecostal churches. Right. You go into non-Pentecostal churches today, you'll see a lot more intersection of worship and people making room for the presence of the Holy Spirit. They may not always acknowledge the book of Acts definition of the Pentecostal experience, but they are more than ever welcoming the presence of the Holy Spirit. So to me, that is a very positive thing that people are pressing in. You know, I heard a pastor say the other day, I have, I wasn't taught this in seminary, but this is in the Bible. So I want to teach it to you today. And he taught a whole message on tongues, though he had never personally spoken tongues. But he said, if this is of the Lord and of the Holy Spirit, uh, we want to make room for it. And That's so awesome. I thought that was pretty bold in a church of about 3000. You know, there's if the church is headed toward a way, it's a little bit of the blending of what we have segregated over the years. Mm-hmm. And God seems to be integrating so that there's a stronger unity within the church. And we are a little less concerned about labels. If you even take the Baptist churches, many of them are not known necessarily as Baptist churches. You know, you may get Andy Stanley's church called North Point or others that reflect more the vision of the church than a denominational heritage. And I think, you know, more and more people are really centering around Jesus and his message. And of course, that has to lead you to his plan for the church, which was to leave his presence in every one of us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's why the Holy Spirit becomes such a powerful representation today of what Jesus wants to do on the earth. There's a quote that you posted on Facebook that made me reach out to you because, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to help people not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I think people have had those experiences, like you mentioned, where maybe the place they visited, it wasn't grounded in the word and they had this idea of what the Holy Spirit was and they got afraid, or maybe they just don't have an understanding exactly what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. So you had posted a quote from Smith Wigglesworth and it says that Pentecost came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind a violent blast from heaven. Heaven has not exhausted its blast, but our danger is we're getting frightened of them. So the question I have of that quote is, why do you think, you know, obviously we talked about how people maybe had a bad experience, but why do you think people maybe that are new to the Holy Spirit would be afraid of inviting the presence of God or witnessing the power of God? I do think that the Holy Spirit in his visible presence often does at times bring a surprise at a minimum and maybe even an initial response of fear by some people. Sometimes I think people get to the threshold of an invitation to to go to a different room uh, in God's house to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But if it's dark in that room and light in the room you're in, then there's a, a hesitancy to move into what you don't yet know or understand. Mm -hmm. But if you add to that, the fact that I think we've tried to generate the presence of the Holy Spirit in a dramatic fashion that I think have been 
is oftentimes resisted by people or they try to mimic something so that they can be accepted. You know, I've been all around the world, so I know that there oftentimes are demonstrations of things that could be in the flesh and some could be definitely in the spirit. I don't know that you can always initially discern, but I think the reason people are afraid is a concern about just readily accepting something if it's not from heaven. We want to be, we don't want to reject the presence of God, but neither do we want to affirm a carnal replication of something that is so sacred and so divine. So sometimes the caution of not wanting to be counterfeit mm-hmm. and maybe close you off to a genuine supernatural experience. And mm-hmm. so we might interpret that they're afraid of the Holy Spirit, but they really just need to be led in such a way that they Because if you look at the book of Acts, you know, some were participants, you know, there were only 120 that gathered in the upper room, although thousands heard Jesus teach, and there were probably thousands more. I mean, obviously 3,000 heard Peter preach. So you got to realize in the church, there's the participants, there's the willing people willing to wait on the Lord, then there's the observers, and then there are probably the critics. Um, (laughs) So you just got all measure of people in this journey. And our challenge is we kind of want everybody to be the same. And and no one person has had the same experience that we have. So we're all very different. We all have to find and experience God in a very unique way. I think we can teach, we can model. And the best thing to do is to mentor people into an awareness of the presence of God I think people have seen certain expressions of the Holy Spirit, and I think they feel like with sometimes things they've heard that they have to be like that, and that's not them. So we need to teach people that the Holy Spirit's not going to necessarily ruin your personality or take over uh, your body, but you just need to be, everybody wouldn't understand this, but but the miracle of a marriage where two people become one in spirit and in heart is a mystery that people still don't fully understand and people are afraid of marriage at times. And, and so for some people, it's not, it's not the right thing, but you know, if you've had a good marriage, then you can understand how two very distinct personalities have come together and managed to live as one unit, even though they retain their individualism. So it's in a way how we can come under this incredible relationship with the Holy Spirit, that we don't lose our identity, and yet something about all of it changes. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of become more committed to some of the same goals and values and objectives, and yet we we don't lose who we are. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that in those cases, there's the critic, there's the observer, and there's the participant. And I love that because I think I've been all three (laughs) times. Mm -hmm. But when when, to speak to the critic, uh, I think there's people that listen to this podcast that are that are still, they're hungry for something. But like you said, they're they want the real they don't want the fake the flesh, the whatever. What would you say to move to the next room? Well, I would say they need to just open up the Bible. And uh, I would start with everything Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I would study everything Luke, uh, who's a Gentile, who wrote about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So 
the uh, cool thing is that we have a Gentile who records our church's history. And so he's somebody on the outside who experienced the grace of God. The other thing that I would say that even cynics or just people that are kind of following would be what condition does the Holy Spirit leave people when he intersects with them? Mm, that's good. So just by observing things, you can see that people are always left better. Now, again, I wouldn't say that's true of people who intersect with a contrived Holy Spirit or a counterfeit Holy Spirit, but people that do uh, encounter the real Holy Spirit are always left better, better understanding about life, better understanding about God. I would say, you know, for people who struggle, don't, don't deny the struggle. Just embrace it and realize that if you do come out on the other side, <laughs> it'll be authentic. Uh, it won't be copied, and it'll it'll be a conviction. I think the greatest gift we can give people, April, is to just give them history and let them process it and pray. God, if you're real, you know, show up. The guy who wrote half of our New Testament was a chief persecutor of the church, Paul. So I don't feel like we have to sell the Holy Spirit. I just feel like we have to help direct people if their interest is peaked. And then model, you know, if our life doesn't look any different, sound any different, like the church today can become our own worst enemy. If our behavior is no different than the world, it's hard for them to understand our testimony about being different in Christ. Mm -hmm. So I feel that same way about Pentecostals and the Holy Spirit. It's just a privilege we've experienced. We didn't earn it. We didn't buy it. But it, it was this room that God invited us to that opened up a whole nother treasure of heaven. You know, it's kind of like you can sit around and go to Kroger every day, but if somebody introduces you to Costco, <laughs> then all of a sudden you you discovered, wow, this is a whole new world. <laughs> so, um I think there is an introduction to the Holy Spirit, which is why I think in these days of greatest challenge, the Holy Spirit is making the greatest impact around the world. And so there's got to be some reason why even large denominations who by their theology don't accept tongues are actually credentialing missionaries in their denomination uh, who speak in tongues because they recognize the validity of it. And so that's one step toward accepting it and, and another step away from actually preaching it. So <laughs> knowing him the way that you do in your relationship with him, what are some things that you would say about who he is and things that maybe other people might not know about him that, that he would love for them to know? Yeah, I think the thing I've come to appreciate as an adult is where he brings his gifts into play at times, like discerning a situation where you would not have known certain things had not there been this divine sense about the situation that make a difference in how I view life, uh, how I intersect with people on an airplane or, you know, in a store. It's just interesting. You know, I um, was riding on a Hertz bus the other day, rental bus from LAX to Hertz rental car. And 
the driver started talking to me and wanted to know what I did for a living, why I was in LA. And I told him, well, I have an apartment out here, but I have a home in Georgia. And what do you do? Travel around the world. What do you do when you travel around the world? You know, and so it got down to my ministry and, and uh, he said, well, tell me some of the things you've done. And so I, for some reason, I told him about my intersection with Manuel Noriega down in Panama, where I got to go to prison and pray for Manuel and that this dictator that had been in prison for 29 years had asked me to pray that he could get out of prison. And I thought that's the most ridiculous prayer I could <laughs> think I could ever pray. Uh, that was on a Sunday, but I did pray that God's will would be done and doors would be open that no man could shut. And six days later, uh, he gets out of prison after 29 years, nice. six years after we pray. <laughs> and, um, I had a friend call me from Panama and he said, you won't believe that Noriega is out of prison. And I kind of doubted it, even though I'd prayed <laughs> for it. So I'm telling this bus driver this story. And so he pulls up to the Hertz lot, stops the bus. And before he goes back to help the customers out, he walks over to me and says, I want one of those prayers. <laughs> you know, I mean, here's the bus driver wanting me to pray for him in public before he does his stuff. So I just think that there's, times that we intersect divinity and a way of inviting the Holy Spirit to live in you that is a profound, extraordinary, additional opportunity to experience the things that God has for you. So I don't think it's exclusive to Pentecostals, but I think the more we're open to his presence, the more we experience his presence. Mm-hmm. So how do you think the world would be different if we all, as the church, a capital C church, welcomed the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and through us to the world? Well, I think the biggest thing is we'd be living less like the world and more like Jesus, and I think we'd become more of a light than a controversy. I think where the church is absent of the Holy Spirit, there's a temptation to manage and maintain an institution. Or continue to have activities that might substitute for spiritual. And in the meantime, we're not really transforming anything. We're just managing stuff. So I think it was Matt Chandler who said, unless there's transformation, we're just managing external and internal darkness. Oh, wow. (laughs) Where there's transformation, where the Holy Spirit's involved, there is real kingdom work. And so doesn't mean you have to have a big church. It just means you have to have a, you know, you want the demons to know who you are. Mm-hmm. You want to know that when you show up, they're extra fearful because of Jesus stepping out of a boat and immediately engaging, not ignoring or being afraid of the kingdom of darkness because they fear us. We don't have to fear them. So I do think the big difference when people move in the power of the spirit is they're not just performing church. They're not just maintaining church. They're not just, you know, all of our conversations aren't just about budgets and property. They're (laughs) about people and breakthrough and poverty. And, you know, we're just, we're looking to make a difference, April. And I think the question is, if you removed a particular church out of a community, would anybody know? Uh, if you're influential, if you are impactful, you know, if you have a life that is going to leave a legacy, 
then it's going to be by the power of the Spirit. You know, it says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. So you can move things in the flesh, but it's temporary and it, it, it's very exhausting. If you do things in the Spirit, uh, it's going to make an eternal difference. Is there anything else you can think of that we haven't covered today when I brought up the topic of the Holy Spirit that, that just came to mind that you'd like to share? I think the more. Pentecostal Christians lead with more spiritual health, I think it'll be easier for other people to grow in the Holy Spirit because some people kind of cut that off because they see things that they say, I don't want that. So they kind of close off to a whole life. So we bear some responsibility. You know, I'm always glad if people are surprised that I'm Pentecostal. They might say, you seem so normal. And I'm going, yep. But but yet again, they, they say, what is it about you? So I think the Holy Spirit, he's God's gift to the church today. And I think that's one of the greatest benefits that people have of the Holy Spirit is um, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. So... Well, April, thanks for what you're doing in this podcast and your heart to um, help people through stumbling in the darkness as they genuinely want more of God, but aren't quite sure how to get there. Yes, thank you. I would love for you to close by praying for the listeners, if you would. I will. Jesus, we often just don't have answers, and sometimes we make them up. And sometimes we uh, are patient and we wait uh, till you show up with them. Thank you for those that are listening and are sincere about their journey with, with God and really want all that he has to offer. And I pray, Lord, that we won't get in the way of all that you want to do. And we just make ourselves as humble uh, people inviting you to fill every crevice of our life, to heal every injury, to enlighten every dark valley, and to empower us in ways that will help us not only survive, but to thrive in a world that is so chaotic today. Pray for April, pray for this podcast, pray for everybody who's listening, that there'll be a fresh revelation of who you are, Jesus, in them and in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for listening to the More of God podcast. For more stories about how people are encountering the Holy Spirit, you can go to the blog at themoreofgod.org, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play.